0: from St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas, a joyful Christian community. This is Soulful Sundays, a weekly podcast of our 5 o'clock service. I'm Patrick Miller, director of St. Mark's. Welcome Saints, oh, when the saints go, marching in. go marching in. Oh, when the saints, saints go marching, marching in. in. Oh Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. And when the sun, when the sun begins, to shine, begins to shine. And when the sun begins, begins to, to shine. shine Oh Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. saints go marching in oh lord i want to be in that number when the saints go marching
1: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The next day, when the people who remained after the feeding of the 5,000 saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that is perishing, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you,
0: Lord Christ.
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. See, last week I was my best 5 o'clock celebrant, and I was down here with the people, and this week I'm a bad 5 o'clock cel- celebrant because here I am in the pulpit in the double breasted blazer, not really the 5 o'clock vibe. I'll work on it. Recently, I see at least one newborn baby here, so you will know what I'm talking about. I, um, I have been a sort of amateur student of genetics because you see, my daughter seems to have blue eyes. And this was confirmed to me by my pediatrician. She's going on about six months old. But I find this very strange because I have brown eyes and my wife has hazel eyes. And apparently, it's not as easy as it is charting these things in grade school biology class. Uh, My grandmother, as it turns out, has blue, sorry, my mother has blue eyes, Lucy's grandmother, so that might explain it. But in the midst of my uh, amateur uh, biological study, I came across an article in the London Daily Telegraph on opportunities for the genetic modification of embryos. And while this technology to edit genes exists, it is, as of now, nascent and unproved. However, the UK Bioethics Council has given British scientists the green light to go ahead with further research. Professor Karen Young, Chair of the Working Party on Genome Editing, in Human Reproduction states, there is potential for heritable genome editing interventions to be used at some point in the future in assisted human reproduction as a means for people to secure certain characteristics in their children. Initially, this might involve preventing the inheritance of a specific genetic disorder, however, If the technology develops, it has the potential to become an alternative strategy available to parents for achieving a wider range of goals. Asked whether genetic editing could be used to make children tall with, say, blonde hair and blue eyes, if that was found to increase their chance of success in life, Professor Young added, we're not ruling that out rather sinister-sounding stuff. And though I have serious concerns with this, my intention this morning is not to preach on the dangers of genetic modification. I would, however, like to point out something of the sentiment that is behind this sort of science. That is, our frustration with the imperfection of the human condition. None of us are born... None of us is born ideal, and here I am not just talking about such superficial traits as being tall, blonde, or blue-eyed, although as a person of brown hair, brown eyes, and rather middling height, I'm a bit miffed that Dr. Young should think that could possibly be an object for her study." I am really referring to those other faults, though. The vulnerability of our minds and bodies to disease and decay, our capacity for cruelty, and most of all, the certainty of our own death. The hard realities of human life are most encountered in the midst of our families. All families whether they be small or large, rich or poor, faithful or not, are filled with conflict, or at least the potential for conflict. What's more, these conflicts often stem from our all-too-human shortcomings. Families bear the brunt of ill-health, bad habits, long-held secrets, persistent fighting, and the pain of loss. We are shaped by our families. Our relationships with our parents, our children, and siblings form our character for good or for ill, and anyone who has lived with family knows how frustrating these relationships can be so frustrating that one could see the temptation to genetically modify our future family members. If only we could delete those sources of conflict, including pesky dispositions to bad habits like nail biting, or more serious dispositions toward anxiety. Memory loss or addiction. It is therefore surprising that in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the analogy used for the church is drawn from family life. Earlier, Paul describes Christians as members of the family of God, and here we read of God as the adopted father of his human family, the church. Though Paul writes about the church in exalted terms, building itself up in love, we should not lose sight of the fact that Paul writes, as is the case with all his epistles, to a church that is mired in conflict. The church in Ephesus is wrestling with persecution, issues over authority, and questions around the relations between men and women all issues that continue to divide the church to this day. Paul's depiction, however, of the church as family gives us a clue to his intended message. As we know, while family relationships can be difficult and challenging, they are also often the source for our growth as human beings. Family relationships are relationships of grace, to bring each one of us within our families alive in the spirit. Rowan Williams muses, I dare say that members of our families may sometimes come across to us as strangers. Have you ever wondered, like I do sometimes, even though it may sound ridiculous, if it were possible to order the kind of children we want from God? Well-mannered, obedient, intelligent... However, God does not deal with us that way. God gives us members of our families, including our children, with their own lives, souls, freedom, and minds. We have to learn how to minister to them, nonetheless. Hence, we need the intervention of God's Spirit for this task. The rigors of family life test our capacity to love and to be loved and remind us of our need, especially in the midst of our failures, imperfections, and conflicts, to invoke the Holy Spirit when we are tested beyond our capacity. Acknowledging our shortcomings before God and one another gives the Holy Spirit room to work within our families to heal broken souls and reconcile us to God our Father. Just as family life is a catalyst for growth and grace, so too is church life. What I love about churches, like St. Mark's, is that we come from different places and perspectives. In a world that is increasingly sorting itself out into various interest groups of like-minded individuals, the church stands for an older vision of society, where people who may be radically different, whether in age, politics, or profession, can come together. And this doesn't mean that the church will always be harmonious. God forbid that it is. It is our differences and our striving to grow and be together and discern common goods that makes church a worthwhile community. It is for that reason that we come here on Sunday evening or Sunday morning and we forego the pleasures of Sunday morning brunch, which, by the way, I think is really a rip-off, or what I think is probably, and at least in my case, more desirous Sunday morning or Sunday evening dinner, supper, to come here, to have this food first. We do this because it's worth it. It's worth growing and striving together. The church is not a society for perfect individuals, but a family of wounded souls. Though a family under God, who like a good parent, loves and tends and nourishes his children by providing them both life and wisdom. What's more, as adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're also invited into familial intimacy with God that promises eternal life and happiness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Sometimes I feel like a motherless child, sometimes Oh, uh. This episode was produced by St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. Special thanks to our band, led by Cameron Deason-Hammond, and featuring Jeremy Nuncio, Asher Pudlow, and Andrew Gordon. Join us every Sunday for Soulful Sundays at 5 p.m. at St. Mark's 3816 Bel Air Boulevard in Houston, Texas, or visit us online at stmarks-houston.org.